Talking Church. I'm excited today to have an interesting conversation, maybe something that we haven't done in the past before, but talking in the topic that of something that we all hate, which is abortion, but maybe from an area and a perspective that you've not heard before. I was on YouTube, and as the algorithm goes, I was suggested this video several months ago and started diving into this group called Abolitionist Rising, and they go out and talk to people on the street. They do advocism and or activism and advocacy against abortion and are in Oklahoma and do so much against this, but they actually have a unique perspective that actually says, hey, I don't think the pro-life movement is even far enough in the sense that maybe they're not actually believing what they say. And I don't want to speak too much on behalf, but I actually have the founder of Abolitionist Rising, and he's the director of this organization, an evangelist against abortion, talks to people on the streets in Oklahoma, all around the country, puts a lot of stuff on YouTube. And actually, you've been growing a ton on YouTube, and I see you all over now. And so I was, I said, our audience probably doesn't know this because I didn't know this until a little bit ago. I don't even know that we agree on everything, but I just wanted to have a conversation because I think if we can agree on anything, we hate abortion and we think it's an evil. And I love the activism that you're doing to help people. And you have even stories of people who've reconsidered their position. You have stories about kind of the exceptions to the rule that people often bring up. But welcome to Talking Church. I'm excited for this conversation. I really don't know where it's going to go, but I'm glad you said yes uh, to have this conversation today. Well, I'm glad to have it, and I'm glad to, to be on here, and, and we can go wherever you want to go, because I'm just excited that more and more people are thinking about this, talking about this, and, uh, you know, hopefully give them something to, to consider in the light of Scripture and their own lives and what they're doing. I think starting off by maybe if you can identify the difference in the abolitionist movement versus pro-life, like I said, maybe people aren't as familiar, but we're both anti-abortion, but obviously mm -hmm. there's, there's some differences that are maybe seem small, but maybe some larger ones that uh, I would say determine the advocacy and even some of the language that we use around uh, the, the legislation we're pushing for or things like that. I'll let you explain. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that the best way to maybe jump into it, and it's not going to match everybody because each individual person may have some kind of differing understanding of what they mean by pro-life and, you know, what they think abolitionist means. But the broad, the broad difference, I think, begins with um, just starting with the abolitionist movement and our ideology is very, it's very sort of unabashedly sort of gospel-centered. And so the, the key idea when talking about abortion, whether you're talking to individuals or cultures like states, communities, countries, is that abortion is sin. Um, and the kind of sin that it is, is it's murder. And so we say, how does the Bible say that we're, we ought to approach murder um, in the, from the point of view of the state? What should the state do in regard to murder? And from the point of view of like individuals, like, what do you say? Like, what does God say about murder? What does God say about the murder of children, child sacrifice? And, and look at like the biblical answer and say, okay, so what does it mean to be straight up Bible-believing Christian in a culture that kills its children? And how do you bring the truth of the gospel, the truth of just the entire truth of God's word, what, what God says about loving justice and loving mercy, how do you take what he says and answer the question, what, what do we do about abortion? And so I think starting from that perspective, which a lot of pro-lifers are going to say, well, 
I'm, I'm with you there. I'm, I'm a gospel believing pro-lifer. Um, it's like believing that and then saying, okay, so we're going to let that starting point shape the way we approach people. So we, we're not going to, as is kind of traditionally taught in some pro-life groups, we're not going to sort of like put the gospel on the back burner. We're not going to, uh, you know, not talk about God or Jesus or, you know, repentance and all this kind of stuff. We're going to kind of just focus on saving the baby and then get to all that theological stuff later. Cause we don't want to, we don't want to push the person off with, with our religion. Um, abolitionists, we generally think, no, that's the, the problem is it, it's sin. And so the answer to sin is the gospel. And so it does change methodology a lot. It does change approach. And it, and it kind of like brings in a whole lot of differences that flow from that because the abolitionist is going to talk to someone and say, yes, it's murder. Therefore, you know, there is forgiveness for the sin of murder. I can tell you about a God who forgives murderers, but that doesn't mean it should be legal. That, you know, doesn't mean that it should be treated any different than the murder of anyone else. Why? Because humans in the womb are image bearers and murder is wrong because you can't kill image bearers, just like murdering a born person. So, from that starting point springs all sorts of um, maybe methodological and legal kind of law and policy differences from what's traditionally been the focus and approach to the pro-life movement, which would I would say, and hopefully not straw manning the pro-life movement, but um, speaking from a kind of a knowledge of their documents and their actions and stuff politically, particularly in the political arena, it's basically, yes, abortion is murder, it's killing, but we don't want the laws that are the laws and the justice system that is applied to people who murder born people to be the exact same as the laws that are applied to people who murder unborn people. And they give all sorts of reasons why. Um, but what ends up happening in, in our view is that you start depriving the culture from being, from being told, hey, we are murderous. We're a nation that practices and approves of child sacrifice. We're in rebellion against God. And to individuals, you're, you're in need of laying that at the foot of the cross. You're, you're in need of confessing that as sin. Um, what ends up happening with the pro-life movement, it, you get a bunch of sort of, we don't want to go that theological, so you need to forgive yourself and you need to be healing. And, and women are victims of abortion. They're not victimizing children. So all these differences, I think, spring from that fundamental uh, thing. But um, just linguistically, and I'll stop going on and on, uh, abolitionists are for the abolition of abortion. So that might still happen, but it won't happen with the cover of law. So the laws that allow abortion would be abolished. So it'd be criminalized. Pro-lifers are like a pro-lifers generally say they're not trying to make abortion illegal. They're trying to make it unthinkable. We're an abolition. And so trying to get people to choose life. Um, well, and that's where I think someone might might push back on you. And, and in like Oklahoma, the state you're in, it's like mm -hmm. we saw in the news. I mean, I'm in Minnesota. Minnesota is like abortion central. I mean, it, our governor said, like, I'm the most pro-abortion governor ever. We're mo up until the moment of birth. They're probably doing a math. I mean, they're like they love abortion here. And so I'm in the middle of this to where, like, our state will, un until the Lord revives this godforsaken place, and kind of joking, kind of not, that's yep. not going to be a, a thing. The pro-life movement doesn't have really any 
momentum in the state of Minnesota. Uh, there's probably people, we have a, a new location in Canada. Same is said about Canada. There's a lot mm-hmm. of places around the world that doesn't really have this momentum. You're in Oklahoma where we kind of see the news that says they banned abortion in Oklahoma. And then I start watching your videos and you're kind of like, actually they didn't. And so yeah. that was one of the things that kind of intrigued me to where we're celebrating a lot of these things and you're showing, you can actually just order the abortion pills online and get yeah. them right to your door. And so that's where I kind of started like, Again, I don't, I don't know that I would identify myself like I'm with you yet. And that's why I want to have a conversation mm-hmm. because I'm still wrestling this. I'm also young and just I haven't lived long <laughs> enough to really feel like I, I can speak too much on this. But the more I research, the more I realize like, yeah, may, maybe maybe that isn't true. So maybe if you can speak to yeah. what I'm talking about in Oklahoma, like we you banned abortion, but you the, the politicians didn't actually ban it. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, we, we go out all the time on college campuses or art walks or – music festivals and all that kind of stuff. And we run into people all the time in Oklahoma who are aborting their babies, know how to abort their babies. They're still doing it. They may make a fuss to fundraise for Planned Parenthood or something, but abortion, so Oklahoma is in the top five for the number of abortion pills coming into the state. So we are we are mass ordering abortion pills. Texas is mass ordering abortion pills. Like we, we've done it. We've ordered abortion pills multiple times in, in multiple ways. We've, we've done it where we buy them and they come to us in seven days from India. We've done it to where we've said, hey, I need an abortion. I live in Oklahoma. And we get them three days later from Texas. Like So people in Texas will stockpile abortion pills and, th- and they're free. So, so right now in the state of Oklahoma, in states like Oklahoma, it's not like the culture's changed and people are no longer wanting to terminate their children. That still happens, but we live in an era where it's easier and you don't, and there's a lot less pressure. So a lot of times when people are having abortions, so we probably still do something like 5,000 abortions a year. It is getting online. I mean, that's what people do. Get online, Google. I live in a, you know, pro-life state where there aren't freestanding abortion clinics or mills and they order the pills and they get them Nobody but them and God knows they're taking them. And so uh, so where it went from like the focus was going to the clinic to try to basically, you know, hey, please don't do this. We'll help you. It's now the whole culture is the abortion clinic. And what when, it, when you have this pro-life versus abolition sort of divide going on, I think the pro-life movement may want to celebrate like the passage of certain incremental laws or certain kind of laws that purport to be winning sort of and say, Hey, peace, peace. That when there is no peace, like it's this kind of, um, this kind of false declaration that things are good when really it's just things have changed. And so we do know just from studies that, that the leading cause um, of abortion is chemical abortions. It's taking pills. The pills are strong enough to kill babies up to 12, 14 weeks and that that is going on all over the place. And when you talk to um, legislators, like Oklahoma is different than Minnesota, but in Oklahoma, where you, you say, well, you don't get the pro-life me- momentum. Well, the problem in Oklahoma, uh, the pro-lifers um, are the super majority in the Senate and in the House and the governor and the lieutenant governor and most of the sheriffs. They're like all pro-life. And since 2016, we've been we found legislators who would file bills of abolition and a bill of abolition would be the total and immediate abolition of abortion as murder. Just it's like 
going into the state law and removing the allowance to do abortion from the murder code and saying, we're not going to have a abortion in this state. The act of abortion is murder. We've had those bills going forward every year since 2016. And the problem in Oklahoma hasn't been that the liberal pro-choice Democrats are in office and vote those things down. It's that the Republican pro-life establishment is in office, has the power, and they vote those things down. So the difference is sometimes people say, oh, these are just kind of contrived or are they rhetorical or they're tribal or something. It's like, no, when it really comes down to it, um, pro-life legislators, when they have the power and the ability to abolish abortion, um, it's not theoretical. They have killed those bills. They voted them down and they've explained why they kill them and why they vote them down. And it is that they oppose criminalizing abortion. Um, and there's reasons that they oppose it. Right. And, but and I it's, think to, it's just to, factually true. I think to me that, I mean, that distinction alone, I think is where the separation is happening. And I think, I think if you would ask people on the surface, I think if you were to say like, do you think you sh you should throw women in jail who take an abortion pill. I think that question is one that a lot of people just are uncomfortable with to be like, Ooh, <laughs> like I don't want to be that guy you yeah. know, or that girl that says like, I'm going to throw this vulnerable person again. And I, and we can talk about this too. Cause I, <laughs> I actually, you actually have conversations with a lot of women who've had abortions on the street and they don't always fit the narrative that maybe the media says. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it definitely, you, you get put in a position where you say like, I, I don't know, like, do I really want to throw people in jail? But then on the other side of our mouth, we're, we're holding up the signs at the picket lines or whatever saying, saying we think abortion is murder. And so I think that's the tension to where like, I find myself in, again, in the middle of this right now to where there's a political side of this, but then to your point of what you said at the beginning, there's a biblical side that says, if we believe this is murder like in the in the full extent of the same as if you killed an alive person which i think most pro-life people would would say that is what we believe mm -hmm. but then also saying yeah but we we think it's not as big of a deal of murder compared to other things in terms of how we should do it legally that again that's where my mind is spinning yeah. and i'm sure people listening are like logan why did you open up that can but you have you've opened yeah. up that question and said can we really stand before god and say that we do think it's murder but we don't think murder should be punished in the same way and again that opens up yeah. a different world where it's we're not the state we're believers and that's why i love the conversations that you are having with people it's like no, we should call to repentance yes we can vote in certain ways for people who we think are going to vote the right way but at the end of the day, hmm. politicians aren't saving anybody, you know? Yeah, there's, and, there's, a, there's a reality to, like, what happens at the state house, especially in states where you can order the pill. Like, it, it might be that it, we've gone so wicked and so far technologically that there is no way to stop abortions right. outside of being some kind of really insane sort of dystopian society where the government goes through all the mail. And, you know, there are difficulties. But um, if if the law can be used the way that the law is supposed to be used kind of as a tutor to the culture, and the law would say, this is murder, this is like aborting a baby in the earliest stages of development is the same thing as like stabbing your wife. You know, like if, if that can be the instruction, and people are grown up in that culture being told this 
that, that life is this valuable and this is how serious, like we love life. And so therefore we love justice and we're going to, we're going to show equal justice. You know, um, if the law can be that kind of tutor and then the church and just Christians can, can be going and saying, yes, this is murder, but you know, I, I preach go and sin no more, you know, kind of like a, just sort of like the way that Christ approached it, you know, like tell people the truth about their sin and then the truth about the gospel. And if you, and if you sort of want to share the gospel with people and at the same time you're telling them it's not really murder or you're telling them not only is it not really murder, but you didn't really choose, like, I know you're calling yourself the pro-choice movement, but you didn't really choose this. You're a victim of this. You're a victim you didn't kill your child. Like it's kind of the compassionate thing. Like people think, oh, it's the compassionate thing. Don't tell. It's kind of actually kind of a wicked mean thing because you're really withholding the truth that will set them free. And so I know, I know I've talked to lots of post-abortive women, but I know lots of post-abortive women that are abolitionists that are free. They, they fully admit that they did sin. They did murder a child and they've given it to God and they now walk in the freedom that is, um, you know, the grace of God and his mercy. And so, um, I, I, I see that and I see that we need to be going out and about in the culture and telling the people the truth. And we need to make sure that the truth that we're telling them doesn't get contradicted by the laws that we advocate. Like we can't advocate laws that are like, this is bad and you shouldn't do it, but if you do it, you're not going to get in trouble. That just tells them, okay, it's yeah, not see, actually bad. We see that in uh, the Walgreens and CVSs in California, right, <laughs> where they go in and just take a bunch of stuff. You're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to get in trouble. I, yeah. I think I think the probably the, the area that, that kind of caused me to even be like paying attention to this was obviously Roe v. Wade is is struck down and mm-hmm. it it allows the states to get control, which which for in a lot of ways does put abortion on the ballot. Not to your point, not really as yeah. much as we thought it did. But yeah. um it, I started to see and I think everyone was excited and, and I don't really mean this like to be super political. I'm not the most like I'm involved in terms of like I'm aware of things, but of everyone in my family, I'm probably the least like concerned about politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I feel like it's I don't know it, because you get frustrated with things. But yeah. I started to see like everyone talk about this red wave that was coming in in 2022. It's like this red wave, this red wave. Like all the Republicans are going to win, and then it didn't happen like anywhere near what people thought. And I and you could see the states that had abortion uh, legislation on the ballot just got decimated if you're a conservative hmm. and i think it showed people love abortion way more than they we knew they did or, or at least kind of perceived them to and so as i started to see this happen i, I actually was talking to like f- friends and family i said i don't think it's going to be a red wave i think people love abortion and then it happened and i'm not patting myself on the back yeah. i just have seen that to be true in in college campuses i was the college and young adult pastor for four years at our church so like i i see that happening all the time mm-hmm. and then I start to see just the ground is being lost, so to speak. And and I guess where, where my position is right now is I'm like, 
I've been pro-life. I still probably consider myself pro-life, but the pro-life movement, one, is not doing what we thought they did. And secondly, they're losing badly. Like, yeah. they're actually not winning, really, even in the states that you, you talk about, like your own state. And so that's where, for me, as I started learning about what you were talking about, it actually led me down more of just a biblical path to say, like, I think you're right in that the method of trying to win people over that like they're the victim, which there definitely are victims involved here. But yeah. I think by and large, and, and I w- I'd love for us to talk about the two, it's they're not victims involved here. It's 90 some percent, yeah. maybe more. There's at least one but, group that is totally the victim. Yeah. And that's the preborn child. Exactly. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, and there's, you know, the making of, or the, the exception um, that you talk about, like the, the rape victim of the child. And like, I have friends mm. that are victims of rape. Like I literally yeah. know them and I'm, I don't want to kill them. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that to, to finish this thought here, I look at this and go, I, I don't think us convincing people that it is not as bad as we really say it is, is a, is a winning spiritual form. Maybe if you're a Republican and like Trump, kind of his position, like, I think we're going to get slaughtered on this abortion thing. Let's kind of find a middle ground, you know, Mm -hmm. so that we can win this. Like, we're not trying to win a political battle. We're trying to send people to heaven because we repent of our sins. And so that's where, and again, I, I know I probably don't sound like a lot of people in the, the more modern evangelical megachurch space, Mm-hmm. But I, I do feel like this burden on my heart of like, I, I mean, and, and I, I've shared this on the podcast before, but like my wife and I struggle with infertility. Mm-hmm. Like we, we're praying and believing for a baby every year. We've been praying for years for this. I want a baby. Like that's a, our prayer. It's a goal of mine. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. This is personal for me because I see other people who have the gift that God gives them and oh, they yeah. kill them. And so that, that, that's why like it's become more personal for me is like, oh my goodness, Every day I think about this. Every morning I pray, Lord, would you give this to me? I, I feel like I'm Hannah and I feel like I'm Rebecca and I feel like I'm Sarah and, and my wife in the same way. And then, so, so again, that's where like I've this, yeah. for those who listen to this podcast consistently and hear me talk about this, why I brought you on. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm just, I know yeah. I'm, I'm blabbing a lot, but. Well, I think you, I think you get hit the biggest, I think the biggest, most important thing there is that you can look at 50 years of the pro-life movement's approach of trying to do it in this sort of way that's supposed to win. So you've got the incrementalism, the regulationism, not going too hard. Like it's like a, it's a, it's a rejection, whether it's cognizant or not, it's a rejection of sort of like what I'd call like a prophetic approach, sort of standing up in the culture saying, this is child sacrifice. We're a nation that's in rebellion against God. We're killing our children. We've, we're doing the same thing they were doing in, ancient Israel, when they were putting babies on molten hot hands and, you know, worshiping Moloch, we're just, we've just put it all behind walls and we've clinically, you know, masqueraded it. And, and so the abolitionist is looking at it and, and the abolition movement, there's like people that are like abolitionists throughout the whole period, but they're not the majority, but maybe about 10 years ago, the abolitionist, it's like coming on the scene saying, no, we need to actually tell the truth about this, even if it doesn't seem to be politically wise and it's going to hurt voting and all this kind of stuff. We need to oppose compromise with abortion. We need to op- oppose this sort of like we'd rather win the Republican debate so we can fight Marxism uh, stuff or like, you know, we, we need, to, we need to, to no compromise with child sacrifice because 
that'll gain the favor of God. That's basically what God says to do in his word. Um, and we should do this because in that way, we will be salt and light in the culture of death. And so even if we're not having a gr grand effect politically, immediately will have an effect on the hearts and minds of the people and maybe the conscience of the nation, if, if you will, you know? And so I think that when you look at states like um, purple states or whatever, where they put abortion on the ballot and then just abortion rights wins, you know, post Roe, you get these states that just sort of like say, well, you took away Roe. It never really was about Roe. It was about, we just want abortion. And so now we're putting it in our state constitution. And you look at like the pro-lifers are like, why did we lose? And I look at him as like, because you didn't stand there and say that abortion was murder, like killing born people. You didn't stand there and say that the babies were the victims. You stood there in the culture and said, we got to vote against this stuff because women are victims and it's just not safe. And like all this stuff that I think most of the time, the pro-life leaders know they're pandering and they know that they're uh, trying to look compassionate. They think I can't tell the truth about this. Because if I tell the truth about this, I will lose. Well, what we see over the past few years is that if you tell lies about this, you lose. And the reason you lose, and this kind of sounds a little harsh. I hate being harsh. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be harsh to be harsh, but it sounds harsh. Um, the reason that states like Ohio, whenever abortion gets put on the ballot, they vote for abortion is because they just don't think it's child sacrifice. They just do not think it's murder. They think that um, the most important thing is protecting women. And they think allowing legal abortions will protect women and help women. And they've been tutored not only by the pro-choice movement to think what's best for women. That's what the pro-life movement has been telling them. And right. so the pro-life movement is trying to outworldly wise the pro-choice movement and the pro-choice movement's out there shouting their abortions, basically saying, yeah, we know this is terminating a human, but, you know, this is the key to female liberation. And we are choosing this. We are pro-choice shouting our abortion. And then the pro-life movement doesn't come along and say, yes, and that's evil. The pro-life movement comes along and says, actually, you're victims and you didn't choose abortion. You don't even know where babies come from. Women don't know. And it, and it becomes one of these things where the pro-life movement just crashes and burns. And then they're mad at the abolitionist because like, if we really push for total and immediate abolition of abortion as murder, we're going to cost them all these theoretical wins. Um, and a lot of, and a lot of folks are now looking at it going, Oh, the pro-life movement doing the pro-life thing turns out doesn't actually win. And I'd say it's right. not just like, we don't reject it because it doesn't win. We reject it because it's not biblical. It's not what God would want us to do. And that's why it doesn't win because yeah. you can't approach it without the wisdom of God. And that to me, I think is where, why my head has been so in this and doing a lot of research, watching a lot of videos, watching perspectives. I, I was listening to um, the PBD podcast and he had two former uh Muslim or a former Muslim who's now a Christian and then a, a Christian and then a former Christian who's now a Muslim and then a Muslim scholar. And they were in this debate and it's a, a great episode. I don't know like the name of it. Uh, maybe I can put it in the description, but um, the Muslims were arguing in favor of the Quran and were basically saying like you as Christians, and I don't think the Christians did a very good job 
to be mm -hmm. clear. But they said, you're defending liberalism. You're not defending the Bible. And they kind of got caught off guard by that. And, and yeah. again, to, to these Muslim debaters' credit, I don't agree with them, but they're good debaters. And these Christians were, were actually defending the West, and they were defending America, and they were defending the Constitution, and they weren't defending the Bible. And, and yeah, I, think, I think there's a— there's a, a realm of like Judeo-Christian values, right? Like Judeo-Christian values. And I actually had on the podcast here a friend of mine, and he said, whenever you say that, like I'm a black man, like whenever you say the country is founded on Judeo-Christian values, like that's kind of hard for me to hear because like yeah. my people didn't even have like rights. But he said, I know what yeah. you mean and that there were a lot of those things. And so I think yeah. the, the truth is as believers, we can't put our faith in government. We can't put our faith even in Judeo-Christian values. We have to put hmm. them not on the values that is determined from Scripture, but the values of Scripture. Yeah. Amen. No, I think, I mean, it's not, it's not, the, it's not what people say you, have, you should say these days. You, right. Say something like, oh, you're, you're looking too backwards or something like that. Um, you need to, but it is, and I actually, I think you, I was watching a, a sermon that you gave and you were talking about wanting to be friends with the world. I think that's like people want to be friends with the world. And so in pursuit of being friends with the world, they kind of act very worldly, not just in sort of behavior, but in sort of ideas and approaches and stuff like that. And, and the idea of saying like, you know, God once had a people and he gave them a law and he said these things. And then, and then whenever he, you know, came and he died and he said, make disciples of all nations that keep my commands and stuff. You know, I don't want to be hokey. Let's keep the commands of Jesus. Like that's, that's like cr crazy Christian fundamentalist, Christian nationalist, all this kind of stuff. But it's like, you don't want to be laughed at by the world. And, and I think it's easier just to say, listen, God is love, is justice, is perfect, did make things, intended it a certain way, and he wrote it all down for us and gave us, gave us his law. So we know what is true and what is good and what's right and what's wrong and evil. And so when we write laws or when we make practices or, you know, culturally approve of things, like it doesn't make you some kind of weird bigot or, you know, anti-progress person. You know, you actually become like, today, the only true progressive, the only true, like, uh, radical, the only true rebel th that you're saying, like, no, the whole culture wants to just throw out God's law. When I'm saying maybe God's law should be, you know, established. Maybe, like, maybe we should, maybe Christ is king and all of the governments of the earth are going to bow to him or they're going to be rebels. They're either going to be goats or sheep. And maybe we should try to disciple our nation to be a sheep nation. And people are so scared of that because granted, I mean, even I, some people who are like that are scary, you know, um, or they come across as scary or whatever. But the fundamental thing that God has a law and it is good and that we shouldn't, like those guys you're talking about, I haven't seen that podcast, but we shouldn't be ashamed of the law of God. We should be ashamed of our being ashamed of the law of God, you know, and right. Christians have, um, I think, I think that there are some things in scripture that are just beyond clear, but the culture disagrees with them. And so Christians bend over backwards to compromise. Well, and I think that's the, the issue that we have. And, and there's a meme that has gone out a bunch of times and it's one of my favorite sayings, but it's like, you know, bad times create strong men, you know, strong men create 
good times, good times create weak men, and then weak men create bad times, right? And it's the cycle of history that we live in. And I think we have been in this, the United States, especially with the West in general, has had this good time of the economic prosperity, in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, religious freedom. I mean, I, I travel all over the world. I've been to over 30 countries. I've seen that the world is has way less religious freedom than we do. Like any, anytime we're like, we're under attack. It's like, well, I mean, we are, but by comparison to some of my friends in India who are thrown in jail right now, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's not the same. And so, but, but then also I do think that we're on this trend that, that maybe in the sixties as the civil rights movement was going, like we felt like we're, we are the society of justice and morality. We have abolished slavery. We're doing civil rights. We're doing women's rights. Like all these liberalism ideas that I think some of them are tied to scripture and others are not. And others are mm-hmm. twisted to, to say that, but we kind of had this virtuous like attitude to where like, look at us, we're America mm-hmm. and we do the right things. And, and again, I still think like when people say, like, is America the greatest country in the world? I'm like, well, how do you define that? I think if you, if you took it down and did a, an, an assessment, probably, right? But, but in the same way, it's like, but that's not what matters. What matters is the greatest kingdom in the world is the only kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. And so I'm, yeah. I have this burden to where I see friends of mine and some of them who even grew up in church. And, and maybe if I could be so humble, even grew up in our church that mm-hmm. are, are not defending the laws of God, but they're defending the laws of this nation or the conservative ideas. And we have politicians in our church, and I hope that they mm-hmm. advocate for the things of God. But as a pastor, and a lot of the people listening to this are, are church leaders or pastors, our responsibility is not to be the civic engagers. It's mm-hmm. to be the ones who point people to Jesus. And I, and I think w- one of the things I'd love for you to talk about is these conversations you have on the street. And and they're, they're often your most watched videos and yeah. these interactions with people. And sometimes people make a fool out of themselves and it's funny to laugh at, but other times people genuinely have a kind of a change of mind or at least you, you help them think. And you're not screaming mm-hmm. in their face. You are holding some provocative signs that uh, get their attention, often comparing abortion to slavery in at least its intellectual positioning, um, not necessarily in its, you know, in what it is, but you're using it to say, hey, if you said my slave, my prerogative versus my body, my choice, it kind of sounds similar. And then you start having Mm -hmm. conversations. Can you expand upon maybe some of those conversations you've been having with people and the themes you're seeing? Because I would say most pro-life people don't do that. And that to me is like, we post about it on social media or we vote about it. And again, I'm being critical myself. I've not done that. I actually, you've inspired me to say, huh, could I go out and talk to people? And would I be willing to hold up a sign? Um, again, not maybe with the megaphone or yelling. Again, maybe that's a different style. But for me, I don't know yeah. that I would do that. But I would have a conversation with someone. So I don't know. Expand on that. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't ever do like the megaphone yelling thing. So that's kind of, I mean, ever, you know, I'm not too critical about, there are bad styles. <laughs> there are bad approaches that should be, you know, kind of rejected because they're not actually being heard. Um, you know, we have to be wise as serpent and innocent as doves, you know, think about how you do it. But um, yeah, my approach is, uh, yeah, I, I put, I try to put something bold and true on a sign and then I try to stand there and actually just, you know, I, I believe in the providence of God. I believe that, you know, the, there are going to be people who want to talk 
like there's somebody who's like, you know, eating breakfast and they're like, well, God, show me a sign. If this is wrong, show me a sign. And then they'll walk onto campus and there's a guy holding the sign says abortions, murder or whatever. Right. But, you know, we, we hold the signs and I generally will talk to the people who want to talk. Uh, I won't really talk to the people who don't want to talk and I will sort of press it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons it does well, um, because you do get, you do get a smattering of people who just treat you poorly and run off or act stupid, you know? And, uh, but then you get people who stop, think about the sign, talk to you. You know, I've had molten, like almost every time you go out, you get one or two of these like two hour long conversations with people and they're either changing their minds or you're planting seeds or the conversation's going to be filmed, put online. And, you know, I, I, I used to collect comments like on YouTube, like when people would say, I watched this and changed my mind. But now I just, I have this folder, you know, I've got hundreds of these and, you know, it's like, okay, no, the ch- you know, this, this isn't just about clout chasing or, you know, getting famous. It's about, you know, changing people's minds and hearts and, and it really is happening. Um, but I think the key is telling, at least the key for me is believing the truth and then tell, telling it as straight and speaking the truth in love as much as you can, um, and, as you're able and just kind of looking for those opportunity and, uh, and believing that God wants to sort of engage that person more than you do. Like, like God, like the spirit of God is doing something with people and calling people and evangelizing people. And you're just kind of part of this. So you don't have to like freak out. It's not like how good you argue or you should argue well, and you should, you know, carry yourself well, but, um, you know, you, you don't stress out whenever you know it's God doing it. Um, but to tie into the thing you're saying, like, well, you know, you don't know if you'd do it or hold this. Not everybody has to hold a sign. There's a million ways to engage on this. But what I have found to be true is that the arguments for abortion are very weak. Um, the the ability to sort of justify it and talk about it from the perspective of being in favor of it is very weak. But the people who make those very weak arguments are very sure of themselves and think that they're like the intellectual ones, the ones that have scientific backing and philosophical backing. And they think all these really great things about themselves. And then when they run into someone who's willing to actually talk to them, all of a sudden you see how shallow the arguments actually are, or you see that they refute themselves, or you see that you basically are, like you mentioned, you're arguing for abortion in the same exact way that people used to argue for slavery. You know, like all the same arguments that justify like the Holocaust of Jews are being used to justify the Holocaust of preborn humans. And, And they don't know they sound this way and they don't know their arguments are bad because for the last five decades, Christians have kind of just let them own uh, sort of the social media or, I mean, not own it completely, but been kind of separate, you know? Um, so I find that a lot of our videos work and they're probably going to start working less and less because people are going to come up less and less, like they come up very sure. Like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to walk up to this lunatic with a sign and I'm going to put him in his place when it comes to bodily autonomy. And it's like, they haven't even thought that they're arguing for the destruction of a body like right and why haven't they thought that because they they've never been engaged so i'm not blaming the church uh you know entirely for that 
But there is something to the fact that like we've not been salt and light in this area and we've let them feel very sure about their very bad views. Well, and that's that creates and, and the, that, the videos. And I think there's a lot of people, though, who feel that even the arguments and the intellect is what's going to convince them. And and I, I see it seems you're this way, but I, I would align here to say it's actually the spirit of God that will change them. Like, yeah, I don't I do believe this is a, a clouding of a a spiritual clouding to where, and, and if there's somebody listening to this conversation and they're not a Christian, they're not a believer, and they're saying, oh my goodness, these guys sound crazy. Like, I would encourage you to say like, no, like whenever we talk about abortion, I've had this conversation with someone before. They said like, I can't believe you, you would, you know, be against abortion and not women's rights. I'm like, I believe that we were created by an unseeable God who is dwells inside of me, who lives around me, who created me, who knew me before I was born, who actually upholds the whole universe together, who mm -hmm. like will, I will be judged by him at the seat of Christ. Like I believe this, me believing that abortion is sin is the least radical belief that like yeah. I hold. Like, like I, I, again, it seems odd to say it, but like, no, I actually believe that the word of God was inspired by God. Like the Bible is a real God breathed book as first Timothy talks about. I believe that's true. And so mm -hmm. I do think that some Christians are having to find themselves in this position to where it's like, are you defending the fundamental belief that God's word is true and that we are the clay and he is the potter. And I think when you, when you come to grips with that, and again, when you, when you fall on your face before the Lord, in, in the, with the fear of the Lord, I think it makes it easier to say, I'm not trying to convince this person that abortion is wrong. I'm mm. trying to show them that through one of their beliefs that they hold as kind of a religious beliefs, quite honestly, even though mm -hmm. they wouldn't call it that, that that's actually one of the idols that God talks about that is in place of you having relationship with yeah. him. And so it, it's like when you frame it that way as a gospel presentation, which is what you brought up, the, the more and more I mm -hmm. talk about this and think about this, I say, wow, maybe, maybe we're, we're not as far off as we thought from the, the legislative differences. It's actually that we're farther off in our approach that we're not being gospel centered in the approach. And that's not just to abortion, but that's to any sin. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, I think, I think that that's, I mean, that's why I kind of meandered the beginning of this conversation. It's like, it really does start like, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the sin? Do you believe that God hates sin? Do you believe that God forgives sinners? And knowing all that, why would you leave that out? Like it, it, you bring that in to everything you do. And then you start, I think you start to see a, a lot of success and to connect it to the political stuff. Like it, you shouldn't let fears about what's going to happen politically be colored, you know, you color the way you approach it. Um, and, um, you know, that idol of like wanting to be friends with the world. And I think it's actually clearly hinted at repeatedly, not hinted at, I mean, it's blatantly there, but people miss it is like, we know that God loves justice. We know that God loves children, hates murder, hates the shedding of innocent blood. Like these are things that God's revealed to us. You know, we don't have, we don't have the choice here. Like he's basically, he's just said it. I hate the hands that shed innocent blood. That may not be something. That's why we know the Bible's not written by people, you know, because it says things that we wouldn't naturally not want to say. 
But yes, God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. God will judge cultures that allow the practice of child sacrifice. He will judge cultures that are filled with people that know that child sacrifice is wrong, but refuse to, you know, establish justice for it. And uh, so that's, you know, Leviticus 20, Isaiah 1, Amos 5. It's just, just get on Bible Hub and, you know, put in, you know, shedding innocent blood and, and establish justice for the fatherless all over the Bible. But Micah 6, 8, where it says, he has told you, oh man, what you ought to do, love justice and mercy, and then you have to walk humbly with thy God. And to me, everyone likes to love justice, love mercy, but the walking humbly with God is that kind of thing that you're saying is kind of missing there. You know, it's people saying, God has said these things. He says to think this way and to act this way and do these things. And they don't comport with my natural, you know, sinful state. And I don't like them. So therefore, I'm going to modify what God says. I'm going to take the things I like and I'm going to reject the things I don't. That is textbook, not walking humbly with God. It's basically saying, you've said this, but I hold my views higher than your views. Like God said, uh, woe to those who make iniquitous decrees that make the fatherless pray. Like through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 10, 1 through 2, very clearly God is saying, woe to those who write laws which make the fatherless pray. So you cannot, in your fight against abortion, for political reasons or so it passes, put in your law something like children conceived in rape can be prey because we're going to, we've got to understand this situation. You can't write that into your law, even if that's what you want to do because you think it's wise and politically savvy or compassionate. You can't do that because God hates your law. God hates what you're writing. And he says, woe to you. It's like basically saying like the, the worst thing that God can say to you. And so when someone says, I know God hates it when we punish children to death for the sins of their fathers. But I think we've got to have that in there. That is not walking humbly with God. Do you That's feel saying, like, God, your word is not good. Do you feel like for those who have that position, though, to where they're in legislators, there is any place for any bit of incrementalism in that, you know, is there a compromise to say, and again, maybe it, like, this would maybe open up, can Christians be in politically office with good conscience? Um, mm -hmm. But if you're a Christian and let's say you're standing up for something, let's not use the issue of abortion, but it's another area of justice that you're standing up for and mm -hmm. you don't fully agree, but you've come to a compromise that gets you closer, which again, yeah. I think is what a lot of the pro-life movement has talked about, yeah. is they're never going to agree to fully abolish it, but if they actually get rid of 90% of them, mm -hmm. again, th and, and that's where maybe your argument would be, I'm not arguing from a politician standpoint, I'm arguing from a believer standpoint, but as, yeah. as a lot of Christians who are involved in politics, they have Christians, Christians sometimes who are mm -hmm. in politics. Would you, would you say in, in their position to where they actually are governing authorities who are in a representative constitutional republic there maybe is a biblical frame for that. I, does that make sense? Well, yeah, no, I didn't think it makes sense. And what I'd say is, and I don't want to sound like a slippery slope or, you know, advocating something I'm not, but there are some things you can compromise with politically and there are some things you can't. And that's the thing. Like 
politics is the art of compromise. You're talking about compromising on like a budget or a tax plan or even something like a little more serious, like gun rights, like somebody who really wants full-blown constitutional, like the constitution, just full-blown carry. Like you can, you can wear the gun on your head and walk, like, you know, somebody wants just, you know, everything and they get in office and they make compromise to get better gun rights or something like that. Well, that, that isn't compromising on something that God says he hates, you know, that's like sort of an American value there may be a, a whole big argument about the importance of bearing arms and why they had that, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so someone who's like a lobbyist or a legislator and they're fighting to protect the Second Amendment, I think in that area, you might compromise, you know, you might get more gun rights by not getting all gun rights um, or something like that. And so that's an area where like scripture hasn't, you know, I mean, you could say someone's some gun right no, person be like, you. Some gun right person is going to be like, oh, no, this is the most important. But, you know, there's I think not it's in like the Apocrypha. A, yeah, it's it's in the book of uh, Jehoshaphat. I don't know. It's just it's in it's in uh, it's one of those books. But, you know, they wrote it in America, I'm sure. But I don't want to offend the gun rights people. So I'll just, I'll just no, I own a lot of guns. I'm yeah. I'm, uh, yeah so, I'm for gun rights. <laughs> yeah. So the that but the thing is, is. I've had people who were gun rights lobbyists who converted to abolitionism and then they go to the, the, the Capitol and they've got to fight that impulse that they used to use to compromise because they saw that compromise is what got them to something like constitutional carry. But, um, but they, whenever the abolitionist is saying you can't compromise with child sacrifice because you don't want God against, you don't want to do things that are directly against the will of God, even when you're a politician. If you're a believer, you're a politician. I'd even say even the non-believers writing laws shouldn't want to write laws that are contrary to the law of God, because the law, you know, it it's it's one of these things. If they're magistrates, it's their duty to write just laws. So um, they, they, even the non-believer, all of them are going to say they believe humans have rights. All of them are going to say that murder is wrong. And all of them are going to say that the state has the prerogative to punish murder and then write all these laws that contradict that, right. which contradicting those laws teaches the culture that this isn't really that serious. That incrementalism in the abortion realm of trying to get the best that you can get and all this kind of stuff teaches the culture this really isn't all that serious. This isn't child – those abolitionists are crazy. This isn't child sacrifice or murder because if it was, we wouldn't allow it for these three reasons. You know, like – so there's something unbiblical about it that's clear. And I think there's also something – because it's unbiblical, unwise about it. And and even pragmatically speaking, we see that the the incrementalism and the regulationism of abortion over the past five decades has actually tutored the culture to be very okay with it. Um, so yeah, all would, this I sort of agree. yeah, because it's like we're gaining ground. And you're like, I mean, there's all sorts of helpful analogies. It's like the chess analogy. You've got like the devil and the Christian sitting down to play chess, and the Christian's supposed to put the devil in checkmate abolish abortion, but the devil allows him to take just a few more pieces each time, but he always, always wins. But the Christian goes home and celebrates, well, this, this time we played, I got one more piece off the board. And the devil's just sitting there like, you taking pieces, increments, is what has kept it from being abolished. 
if all the Christians all together unified on total abolition and they didn't unify on taking pieces, we'd get rid of it. But we can't get rid of it because they're all unified on taking pieces. Because and numerically, that's true, especially in states of like Oklahoma, populations, pro-life, Senate, House, governor. If pro-lifers wanted to abolish abortion, we could do it today, like right. first day of session. Right. And I, but, I think that's where that's where there's probably people who would be listening that may disagree that the mm-hmm. pursuit of taking pieces is a worthwhile pursuit because the end goal is the same. And again, that's where I see I see the 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 flaw that could be in that logic, but I also see, and again, maybe it's my own just my own personal humanist feeling, but this this idea that in certain areas, when you talk about abortion or you talk about others, like, no, my my goal wasn't to take pieces, but that mm-hmm. was the result. You know what I mean? And I think that yeah. that some people in the pro-life movement may say, no, you've got it wrong. Like my goal is the exact same thing you have. I just am more willing to celebrate the progress I'm making rather than yeah. to, you know, say it's I'm not finished until the job done. I I know yeah. that, but I'm willing to at least accept those wins. And again, that's where it, I'm not. In it's it. an important. I think it's a really important thing. It's like, what are you calling for? So if you're calling for that end goal, like you are literally saying, total abolition of abortion as murder. That's what I'm calling for, and that call comes to fruition incrementally, you're fine. Like that's fine. You're calling like the law that you're advocating for. But if you're saying, so you're, you're a legislator and you've got two pieces of uh, legislation on your desk, one that's to criminalize abortion and one that's to say, you're only allowed to get an abortion after you look at an ultrasound. And the one that says you can look at a, you can get an abortion after you look at an ultrasound comes with, funding and perks and gala dinners and speaking engagements at crisis pregnancy centers and marches for life and all this kind of stuff. And the other one comes from, comes with, uh, you know, standing up and abolishing abortion as murder and looking like some kind of biblical prophet and, and all the pro-life establishment people and all the money and all the galas and dinners and stuff are, are shut to you. And you choose the ultrasound bill over the abolition bill. This isn't like you're taking steps to this one. That's your choosing this one instead of this one. And when we, when we, when it's played out in actual States where it's not even just a legislator, it's like the legislature, like we're talking every Democrat in the whole building could vote against it, but you'd still pass it. Why are you choosing to do less? Cause all the ones that's all the ones that are choosing to do the ultrasound legislation instead of the abolition legislation will tell you that what they ultimately want is this one. Well, the only reason this one's not being done, it's not like they did this one because this one didn't have the votes. They all said they would vote for this one eventually. And so that stuff, like there's an argument there, but there's also just the cold, hard facts of the past 50 years. Like we can look at it. 50 years of incrementalism and, and it's may- just 75 million murdered children. Well, absolutely. And, and maybe what it is, is some of it comes from where you're at in that you have this super majority that can do it where I'm at. I see this idea to where playing a different scenario. And again, mm-hmm. I, I've thought, thought about this, but it, I, I see the, the holes that can exist. But I think the argument that's made, at least in, in our scenario is 
I fought to get the ultrasound bill, let's say, because mm -hmm. if we would have gone this route, we don't have the votes for this. Right. And so we actually fought to get it to be a middle ground with our power, even though it was a minority power. We moved yeah. it from abortion up until the moment of birth to six months or to four months. I think that's mm -hmm. where I do find people where like, I might be sympathetic to that idea to say they, yeah. their call is I, I personally want the abolishing of abortion, but in my role, because I didn't have the votes for this, I was willing to get behind this so that the full on other bill didn't go down. Like, does that make sense? I think that's where a lot of pro yeah. find themselves and, and yeah, I don't know the response. Well, I think it's where they find themselves, and the reason they find themselves in that situation is the failure of the previous 50 years to actually call for the abolition of abortionist murder. The reason that a heartbeat bill fails is because the other side isn't confused. Like, <laughs> the other side is like, they are going to fight They're an ultrasound step. bill like they fight an abolition bill. They they like to think the pro-lifers and the abolitionists are the same. They don't, I mean, in some states they are like, we don't even need to go to the Capitol to fight the abolition bill. The pro-lifers will do it. So, you know, that's becoming clear to them in, in states like But it's like interesting that you mentioned that is that when you flip the script, the argument is made is, no, actually the progressives are more convicted of their own beliefs than yeah, maybe abortion even Abortion on we demand are. for any reason whatsoever. Right, right. That's, that's their I view. Mean, yeah. It's an if they start argument. to lose – if they start to lose, they will do what losers do, and compromise. they will they'll compromise. They'll they'll do incrementalism. Right. But um, so I think that I think I think a lot of things, and it has to be affirmed because immediatism, which is kind of the abolitionist, it's nineteenth century term, but immediatism, abolitionism, uh, gets misunderstood in th people thinking that it's just not celebrating increments or not being it's. It's actually calling for the thing that you want and making sure the things that you're doing don't contradict it. So if you say abortion is murder because people are made in the image of God and human beings as a class of, you know, created beings can't be murdered, all along the way to that eventual goal, if you're contradicting it, you're actually thinking that you're taking steps in that direction, but you're, you're opposing your end goal. So abortion is wrong because it causes pain. That contradicts your main goal because it right. does not actually cause pain. Like embry certain embryos to a certain age that are aborted don't feel pain, but it's wrong because they're image bearers. But you've said to the culture it causes pain. So you contradict your final goal all the way up to it, beating heart. Well, it's not a beating heart that prohibits murder. It's the possession of the image of God. So you, you're contradicting yourself and you think that these steps in your mind, and I would say in your presentation to your funders or your followers or voters or whatever, these are going to step in the right direction. But the culture that you're trying to change is going to be like, wait a second, you said it was pain. You said it was beating heart. Now you're saying embryos? What the heck? And that's kind of where the the left position is has been shifting a lot to where it's moved away from this is a this is not a life to where it's now this life doesn't have the same rights as other life and it which is why yeah. we should do that and I I think I I do see the point that you're making is actually the left the 
has done incrementalism all the way up to the point of like, all right, fine. This is what we actually believe. And I think now that's where you do see this abolitionist movement that is rising. And I I would say, I think I I would come into agreement on on that last kind of point you made in that if Mm -hmm. if we're contradicting it, whether you call yourself pro-life or an abolitionist, if you're contradicting the belief that you make by using an argument that isn't valid. It's like the same could be true about like anything related to sexuality or anything related to, to any other issue in our life. It's like, well, you know, if you, if you ate healthier, that would help your, uh, your, um, food disorder. Right. It's like, yeah, well, eating healthier is a good thing. And that may be help my body, but that isn't the reason for my mental illness that I struggle with, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's like, again, it's a small, yeah. dumb example. The last thing well, I want- the, There's a, I think just one that's been the most helpful in sort of incrementalism and immediatism is that when you look at any other sin, and you, you can see the psychology of incrementalism and why it doesn't work. So if you'd like look at adultery, like say there's a guy and he's, he's having an adulterous affair with like a secretary or someone at work and uh, becomes convicted that he doesn't want to be an adulterer and so approaches ending that adulterous affair with incrementalism. So right. Just cheat, uh, you know, that's just, just cheat less or just cheat on work trips. You're an adulterer. You're still an adulterer and, and you'll always will be an adulterer because you're rejecting sort of the biblical method. Like when you see a sin as sin, and it's identified as sin, you're supposed to chop it off or gouge it out. And the reason Christ teaches that is not, he's not trying to be gross. He's just trying to say that if your hand causes you to sin and you leave that thing that's causing you to sin there a little bit, it'll always cause you to sin. So you've got to, that's where immediatism comes from. It comes from Christ teaching on dealing with sin immediately or finally. And uh, so with with a with a state or with people or with a culture saying we want to get rid of this evil, but all along the way to getting rid of it, we're going to tell you how, where, when, and how you can do it, like what you have to do before you do it. That's just keeping it. That's that's all it is. And I think pro-lifers are very offended by that, and I think that kind of stings. But I have seen. I, I mean, the, just to bring up the ultrasound legislation one last time, the guy who wrote and passed the ultrasound bill, you know, 15 years ago in Oklahoma, like, you know, 15 years later, whenever he's coming into contact with abolitionists during a, a political campaign, because uh, the guy he was supporting was advocating abolitionism, had to deal with the fact that every abortion that was carried out in the state of Oklahoma, 5,000 a year, from the moment he passed his ultrasound la- law, to that point, 15 years, thousands of thousands of abortions, all were carried out in accordance with his law. If you look at an ultrasound or you're aware of your right to look at an ultrasound, then you can have an abortion. And seeing that bar graph of just abortions continuing with his law, it's kind of like, wait. Yeah. But I I did that as a step in the right direction. So some people, it doesn't matter pragmatic, like they don't care about the evidence. They just want to do what's right. Uh, I think that's enough to win the argument. But if you do want to see evidence and, you know, do do abortions decline in response to incrementalism? They don't. 
pro-lifers that want you to fund them and fund that incrementalism will tell you they do and they'll they'll do this or that with stats and all that kind of stuff. But abortions do not decline. Abortions just stop being counted. And so now we're in this really awful situation where you've got thousands of abortions happening in Oklahoma in people's dorm rooms and living rooms and church pews and everywhere. And and there's no way for us to reach them because you know you say, well whose fault? Well it's the fault of sin. It is, you know, demonic and sinful and it's wicked, but it, it is all produced. Like, how did we get to this point where you have total immunity to take a pill? It's the pro-life legislation right. that has told them how you get abortions, where you get abortions, and that you will not be ever punished for it. All of that in our world of Google ordering, you know, two-day shipments of abortion pills has ushered in. The situation that we're in. If you rolled it back and said, what if from the very beginning, we were like, this is murder before God, this is murder before the state, this is contradictory to the Declaration of Independence principles of right to life, we're not going to do this. And we pounded that thing and we lost the first year and the second year and the third year, maybe the fourth year. We, Well, that's my math's real bad. That's, you know, 250,000 less abortions. So yeah. And, and we just could- cap all that. I have I have probably seven or eight topics we could take for another two three hours, but I won't do that because you already have a three hour podcast on uh, <laughs> with a debate of a pro lifer on your account. Um, so if people want to, they can go watch that. But I know you've mentioned Wil- Wilberforce is someone you've looked up to that fought against the incrementalism of of slavery, and you talk about that. You have a great lecture about that on your YouTube channel, Abolitionist Rising. And so I, I yeah, although I personally want to go longer. I think this is a good stopping point for now. And maybe we'll have you back to talk about uh, other things, but you've given us a lot to think about. And again, I know there's probably yeah. people that are listening that go, I don't know if I can get there with him or I disagree. I, I think that's okay. And that's appropriate. I, Me too. I find myself saying, if we can't have these type of conversations as believers with two people that are really fighting and advocating for the thing, which is come and be saved and accept the gift that God has given us from our own sin. And maybe we have differences or disagreements or methodology things to where actually I don't think we're as far off to where I think we're really close. Um, But with that, my hope, even with the podcast this year and as we move forward, is to have these types of conversations that, quite frankly, I don't see a lot of people in my circles having that are hard. And this wasn't like a, a really hard conversation, but... In the same way, like if we can't have these as pastors, I I just I wonder what conversations can we have and what should we be having? And if we can't go out and talk to Great. people on the street and say, hey, this is what I believe and we're only willing to do it from the pulpit. That's not what Jesus did. And he he spoke at the synagogues, but he also spoke to the people in the streets. And, and I just hope that we don't I hope that for those listening, if you consider yourself an abolitionist or you consider yourself pro-life, that our position would would be to love people by the word of God. And and again, we've been very like practical and pragmatic and theological in this discussion. And maybe you're saying you're missing the compassion component of that. Jesus definitely didn't miss that, but he also was he was the perfect blend of grace and truth. And so I think that like, yes, there are places for loving people and sitting down with them and crying with them and and acknowledging that 
it is right. difficult and it is challenging and it is hard in the same way of also speaking the truth, just like somebody who's been cheated on or someone who's going through drug abuse or somebody who's dealing with all sorts of mental illnesses to where we can still pastor people well. We shouldn't point our finger and not everyone mm-hmm. has the call that you have either to be this activist and evangelist where you're not pastoring at a church. Maybe those listening say, I don't know that I could do exactly what you do, but I hope that today has been a thought-provoking experiment. I, like I said, I encourage people to check out Abolitionist Rising on Instagram and, and YouTube, hear more of what you have to say. And uh, again, maybe they'll they'll be convinced. Maybe they'll stay right where they're at. Maybe they'll they'll ask more questions. But my hope in all of it is that we would love Jesus more and that we would see that his word is true far beyond any political cry, any activism or anything. And so uh, thank you, Russell, for being on this, on Talking Church today. Thank you for maybe coming into a, a place that is not as traditional in, in a movement that maybe we're not as, um, I don't know, we don't have, our paths don't cross as much, but I'm hopeful that we could do this again. And I'm hopeful that, that people see the work that you're doing and are ministered by it. Awesome. Well, it's good to be on here. And I think that, uh, yes, I'll, I'll just affirm you, there aren't enough conversations taking place that are real and uh, get to the nitty gritty. And we got to some to the nitty gritty. I try to state it as as maybe in contrast as I can, but I do believe that even people who don't dis- don't agree now can come to agreement because I think there is truth and it is knowable. And you just got to be willing to have like the word of God as the authority, and then we can get there. So anyone who who listened, you know, you don't have to agree now. And, you know, maybe you'll agree later, maybe you don't, but, you know, we'll just try to love God together and build this kingdom. So, amen. Amen. Thanks, Russell.